This is episode number 12. We are wrapping up our study on the large catechism tonight, or our series on the large catechism, talking about the Lord's Supper. Joining me once again, familiar faces, we have Pastor Merritt Demsky from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. And then we have Pastor Timothy Roth from St. Peter Lutheran in Humboldt, Kansas. You just had a special guest at your church tonight. We'll hear about that a little bit, right? And somebody's li- and somebody's listening to the video while I'm talking, so it's looping back in. This I hit so mute. I hit mute. <laughs> anyway, subscribe to our channel. Great news. We reached 100 subscribers. That's awesome. So now it's easy to find us. YouTube got YouTube.com slash Crucial Productions. It's that easy now. Spread the word. Hey, tell all your friends. And then once we get to 1,000 subscribers, there's like a whole other list of things that open up and cool things we get to do with our channel. So that's the next benchmark. This is also a podcast. So you can go on Stitcher. You can go on iTunes. You can go on your Google Play store or whatever it is, Google Play, and search for the podcast and listen to it that way because this is an hour-long video. Not many people like to watch an hour-long video. So you can listen to it. So we like to uh, deliver the content in the best way for you to consume it. And so there you go. We got audio as well. Anyways, tonight's episode, if you've been following along in the series, or if this is your first time, you will know or you will be finding out that we have been following a reading plan in our Facebook group, the Grok Moot. And we concluded that reading plan a couple weeks ago, but because of vacations and time off and various other commitments, We've been delayed about two weeks with this particular episode, but the Grokamut on Facebook, go join it. That's where we talk about lots of great theology. You can ask questions. We have quite a few pastors in there who are available to help you work through your theological questions. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Lutheran? Great stuff like that. Pastor Dembski and Pastor Roth are two of our pastors who are there to help you out. Yeah, they can't see you guys, so you know you can keep waving, but nobody's looking. <laughs> That's why I started the video because I wanted to see if I could tell when I was actually on screen and not be sitting there like. <laughs> but it's delayed on this side, so it didn't. You're anyway. so vain. <laughs> no, it's not. I have video control, so I just select who gets seen, and right now it's on me. We're going to end that pretty quick though, because this show is not about the host. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> well, it is about the host. The ooh, ooh, very nice. I like that. Excellent. Um, yes, we'll be discussing that. So, if you have your Book of Concord, we are in the Large Catechism, pages four twenty-three to four forty, is what we are covering tonight. And if you've been following the series, we don't actually read all of that. So we hope that you've been keeping up with the reading plan. Uh, we understand if you haven't, because even we have a hard time keeping up with the reading plan and we're the hosts of the show. Um, so we totally understand. But here's the thing. The Lord's Supper is something that if you're coming from a non-Lutheran background, so myself, for example, I come from a, your typical American evangelical background, non-denominational, that sort of thing, moving into the Lutheran confession and, and confessing what the Lutheran faith confesses, which here on this show and in Crucial Productions. We believe that is what Christianity confesses, that there's no distinction between the two. But for somebody moving through that, there are a couple difficult phases um, as as your theology gets reworked. I I have at many times in my own past made the statement that as I became Lutheran, 
I had to basically relearn everything. Uh, I would repeatedly tell myself, everything you know is wrong. Everything you know about the Bible, everything you know about Christianity, it's all wrong. You have to relearn it and start over. Uh, Maybe we'll have an episode on that sometime. We're not going to talk about that today. But the point being that this process of going from something else to Lutheran, in my case, American evangelicalism, for much of our audience, possibly the same transition, it's difficult. So there's this first step of grappling with whether or not this is just a symbol. As Pastor Roth mentioned, the, the host, we talk about the body uh, and, then, and then the blood. we got the bread and the wine. And is this merely a symbol? Is there something more to this? What's actually going on here? I mean, that's one of the first difficult hurdles in this process, all the way up to, okay, you've worked through a lot of those things. You've looked at scripture, which we're going to be doing here momentarily. And you get to this point where, okay, but now these Lutherans also have this thing called closed communion, where they don't commune with everybody else. So if I go to a Lutheran church and I'm not a Lutheran, I'm not going up to the altar to receive communion. And that's even harder. That, that's, that is one of the, really, to be honest, one of the most difficult parts of coming to a, a biblical view of, of the Lord's Supper, where it actually means that not everybody goes up to the altar and communes together. That's hard. Um, I, I know that from personal experience. I know that from going to church with family members where we no longer have the same confession and we don't commune. So tonight, as we dig into the large catechism and hear what Luther has to say, but in particular, we dig into scripture and hear what scripture has to say and learn from Luther about how he talks about scripture. That's kind of what we're going to work through. So stick around for our episode here. And I'm going to hand it over to you pastors. If you have any particular thoughts Our first big question that we're going to talk about is, whose supper is it anyway? That's the title of this episode. That's our big question. So which of you guys wants to go first, if you have any thoughts to add to the introduction there? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Pastor Dembski was pointing at you, Pastor Roth, so you're it. (laughs) Camera is on you. That's the easy question, actually. Um, so who's supper? Oh, then I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, no, no, too late. late. Uh, so when I went back and, and watched, uh, the episode that you all did over baptism, you know, we addressed this question of how does God work in the world? Uh, God from the very beginning works through means. He's not an, an abstract God. He's not a Gnostic God that says uh, spiritual good, material bad, horrible. No, from the beginning, God has always worked through not only his word, but physical means. Um, and so in baptism, you know, one of those means is his water. It is combined with his word. And so here in the supper, it's no different. It's consistent with the way God has always operated. Um, It is Christ's meal, you know, getting to that question, whose meal is this? It is Christ's meal that he has given to the church. Um, And he's not given it to the church to say, here you guys go, have at it. 
Uh, he has given it in a very particular way. He has instituted it for the church to do faithfully um, throughout the ages until he returns again. Uh, we talked about the host, and, and yeah, that is what we refer to the bread as. But not only do we call the bread the host, but Christ himself in the body and the blood is our host. Uh, the whole divine service, Where what's the direction of the arrows? God coming <laughs> down to us or us going up to God? Most of evangelism says it's us going up to God, but we say, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, Christ being the center of it all, being preeminent, uh, he came to us in the virgin's womb. He came to us on the cross. He still comes to us in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. So it is Christ himself, his supper. He's coming to us to serve us each and every Sunday because that is the God that he is. He is one who wants fellowship with us. He is one who gives us that fellowship through himself. Uh, I like that. There was a, there was a, I hope I would, you know. <laughs> um, it was it was orthodox, so yeah. that's a good start. Yeah, the, uh, yes! there was a congregation I helped with uh, last weekend uh, that uh, needed a pastor to serve the Lord's Supper and preach and everything. And when I was looking at their service folder, one thing I thought was beautiful that they said was um, that. Uh, <laughs> That does, nobody can see you guys messing with each other. So when you pause and laugh, what? <laughs> nobody has any idea what's going on. So what I was Pastor saying very continue. seriously before Pastor Roth was being weird for whatever reason, the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, this church had um, the, the statement that we confess that this is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. Um, and, near the end, it says, out of respect for God's word, we kindly ask that all, the, all those who are not communicant members of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod um, and have not yet communed with us, speak with the pastor before coming to the Lord's table. So it's not a matter of because we are jerks and because the pastor doesn't like you, make sure to talk to him. But this <laughs> statement of um, out of respect for God's word. And, you know, what we're going to be talking tonight of what does scripture say about receiving the supper and who receives and why we receive and all of that? You know, um, if we try to suggest that God does not work through means, then we just make up means and we make up sacraments and everyone does. It's the same thing of like, you've got all this structure because you've got an order of service. Everyone has an order of service, right? Yep. If you type in contempervent in, uh, in YouTube, you're going to get a what? hilarious contempervent. And the video, the, the video explains that at one point there was contemporary and then there was relevant, but they're so cool. They call it contemporary. Oh. But if you type oh, in yeah, that I word, okay. you'll find, you'll find a, a video that makes the point that everyone has a liturgy. Everyone has a liturgy. And what it does is shapes us. So what is our liturgy doing? What are we saying? And why are we saying what we're saying? And so uh, when we talk about the Lord's Supper and we talk about the sacraments, if people deny anything important or uh, uh, beneficial or beautiful about baptism and the Lord's Supper, other than Jesus told us to, then we're going to make stuff up. We're going to start coming up with other things. And typically 
um, it ends up being the worship experience. It ends up being, I could feel the Holy Spirit here, and that's how I know God was here, versus how does God tell us he's here? Because his word is rightly taught, and his body and blood is rightly given, the sacraments are administered. You know, And so when we start varying off um, from what scripture says, we end up just making up what we want to make up. Yeah. And we end up just uh, coming up with our own ways of figuring out when uh, God has come to us. And so uh, when we look at scripture and the scripture passages that we'll be looking at tonight, I'm sure um, we, um, we, we notice that there's something important. It's not just you should do this because it's kind of cool and it'll help you remember stuff. We do have this idea of remembering. We do have this idea of, um, of bringing to our mind what Christ has done. And yet when you hear Paul talk about those who receive it unworthily will be cursed, are drinking and eating a curse upon themselves. It's like, sounds like a little bit more than just, uh, just simply a remembrance. It sounds like there's something else going on here, you know? Yep. And so when you yep. start with baptism and you're talking about all baptism stuff and you move into the Lord's supper and, um, that granting of forgiveness that, uh, that we actually taste that we're not, uh, I think Timothy said this, that, uh, um, about not being this Gnostic out there, God saying, you know, okay. I was trying to think of who said that. It was, it was Peter. Or Peter. <clears throat> I have not um, used the word Gnostic in this episode yet. So, right. Yeah. Gnostic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, instead he comes to us in physical means. He came in flesh and blood and now he comes in water. He comes in bread and wine. And so it's, it's a beautiful gift um, that so oftentimes is taken for granted or, um, yeah, taken for granted. Yeah. Well, let's so let's get into that scripture. We there are four gospels, and then first, well, technically three gospels that we're going to read, and then First Corinthians eleven, the places where the Lord's Supper is instituted. Now, I've I've included a portion of John in our in our notes here, only because it's interesting that the institution is is the one detail actually left out of his account. Of, of the last night with his disciples. So we may talk about that a little bit, but one, one thing that we often, uh, I don't know if this is just a human, th I think it's a human thing to do where we basically say, look, the more frequently something happens, the more important it must be. Well, this is a good example of how that is not a hard and fast rule. And it's not necessarily true because here we have the, the Lord's Supper three times and then, well, four, five, depending on how you count it. But you have like what? How many verses about money in the Bible and things like that? So we, we want to be careful, first of all, to say the importance of this and the reason that our, our for Lutherans, at least our entire church service in many ways is built around this supper. Historically, the church has built its service around this supper as one of the primary elements of every church service, not just every once in a while, but every church service, it's not because the Bible talks about it a lot, but because of who talks about it and how it's instituted, who institutes it, that sort of stuff. So and yet, I'll read the... And, and yet I wanted to say inversely yeah. to that, many people will argue we shouldn't have the Lord's Supper more often because then it'll be less special and we'll feel less special about it. Yeah. And I know we'll get into... So when you started down that path, I'm like, wait, where are you going with that? And that's what I thought he was going <laughs> yeah. with it too. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I fooled you all. You had no idea where I was going with that. All You're right. talking about in but, scripture because it's yeah. not as repeated as yeah, often. Yeah. I mean, because I, th I thought about this today. We, there, there's teaser for anybody watching there's a lutheran lutheran witness edition coming out about about money and there's an article in there where there's a good 
dozen Bible verses about money. And I was sitting here preparing for this today, and I'm like, we don't even have a dozen references about this. You know, there's a couple sections, and that's it. And yet, our entire Christian life, in many ways, revolves around this supper. So let's let's look at that. So I'll read the Matthew passage. Pastors, if you want to be ready with Mark and Luke next, and let's just read through those so we can actually hear what Scripture says about this. So here in Matthew 26, I'm going to read verses 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, uh, before you pastors read the next two, I do want to take a quick note that already we have to be careful with how we handle these passages because I've lifted the words of institution out of their context already. Um, and so as, as we're going through this, as we listen to how Martin Luther teaches on this in the large catechism, we got to keep in mind the, the explanation and how we look at this is not just those verses by themselves and nothing else. That's not how scripture works. That's not how understanding scripture works. So even as we read these passages, just those on their own, keep in mind that that's not the end of the story. That's not everything. And so I don't want to leave you guys with the impression that that's all we need and that that is everything. So, all right. Did, did you guys discuss among yourself who's going to read Mark? I will. Uh, I'll read Mark. Pastor Merritt said it first. Go. <laughs> and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all, They all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Pastor Roth with Luke. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is finished in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it was going to be. <laughs> now, then not- it could be who was going to do this. <laughs> I read the whole section, you know, that's, more than just words of institution. That's fine. Excellent. I'm going to skip us to 1 Corinthians 11 simply for the sake of time so we can have uh, some time to discuss this. But once again, I want to point out there is so much going on in all of this that, as we've said with other episodes, 
this this is not an authoritative, exhaustive treatment of any of this by any means. This is an introduction to help get you into scripture to read it and understand it for yourself. So just I'm going to put that out there as as those of you who are listening. First Corinthians 11, I'm going to read 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul goes on, talks about what it means to eat and drink worthily. And I think it's worth mentioning really quick in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there there is some additional language that I think is going to help us, that, that we need to bring into this. It's not the words of institution, but there is some additional language that Paul includes as he's talking about the Lord's Supper before he gets to the institution. Uh, pastors, feel free to correct me if I'm misapplying this here. Uh, Paul in verse chapter 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Um, he continues on, but that's 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 kind of the the meat of it, if you will. And that's funny Pastors. because he was talking about eating sacrificed meat. So he just like <laughs> spoke, you know. <laughs> I, I was more worried about making a bad body pun. That would have yeah. been worse. So I'm glad you went with the sacrifice titles. That was much better. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so here's, here's what scripture has to say explicitly about the Lord's Supper. Um, there are other passages that often get discussed. You know, is it about the Lord's Supper? Is it not? Is it a foreshadowing of it? Um, obviously, we're in the context of the Passover meal itself, and so there's clear Old Testament uh, foreshadowing and um, preparation for this supper, Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. So let, let's talk through these things. So pastors, imagine, if you will, you have a parishioner who has come to you, and they're maybe not Lutheran yet. They're, they're brand new. They're trying to figure this thing out. How do you help them understand first— that this, this meal is not simply a symbol. Uh, it is not simply a memorial. Uh, and when I say simply, I mean that's all it is. Because I think we would actually agree it is symbolic. It is a memorial. But there's so much more. There, there's more to it than that. So, um, Pastor Dembski, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss this one to you first. Talk a little bit about how you would begin to work through. Pastor Roth is like, yes, I get to think about this more. <laughs> Well, I I think about this a lot because I didn't grow up Lutheran. I, like you, grew up in another denomination. And um, so it took about six years, seven years before I came to understand, you know, what Scripture talks about here. So I think a lot about how how can I rightly share this to help illuminate, you know, the understanding of what's going on. Uh, One thing I think is very helpful is, 
what we've already talked about a lot, the context of all of scripture, that it's nothing new, right? Um, one thing that's kind of interesting in the large catechism uh, here is uh, without anyone's counsel and deliberation has been instituted by Christ. For the, it's uh, page 432, paragraph four, he says, uh, for the sacrament has not been invented nor introduced by any man without anyone's counsel or deliberation. It's instituted by Christ. You know, mm-hmm. so that point that, you don't have a church council that all of a sudden says, you know what, let's say this is really his body and blood. You know, like you have church councils that reaffirm it. You have times where you can see church fathers that'll uh, say, you know what, there's actually people that are denying that this is Christ's body and blood. They're saying this is just a spiritual thing and that there's nothing going on here. You know, and it's like, huh. So if all of a sudden there's people that are pushing against that, it must, you know, the church must have been suggesting that that's uh, that that really is what's going on. You know, there is really more to it. And I, I, I lean a lot on the first Corinthians passages that we were just looking at specifically because, and the other one about eating and drinking worthily and all that kind of stuff and the consequences, because, um, you know, if everyone gets into the, what is, is and this and my and body, you know, and like super yeah. analyzing all the text. But if we, and if we look at those, I mean, we can, we, you can have two people that are like, yeah, he's just doing a symbol thing like the Passover when they'd hold up something and be like, these are like our tears of da, 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 you know, and, and yeah. someone could argue that. And yet when you look at what uh, Paul, or I should say, try to argue that, but when you look at what Paul says, there's a lot more that's going on here. You know, mm. there's, there's, there's more significance to this meal than just, it's good to do because you were told to do it, you know, but yeah. like, what is this that's happening that this, uh, that Christ goes to the cross to win the forgiveness of sins. And yet he institutes this meal to deliver that forgiveness to us, you know, that we don't end up looking to ourselves and yet we misuse it. And that's what was happening all the time in the church. I mean, all the time in church history in the, yeah. since the beginning, you know, you, um, you have, uh, God give uh, Moses the serpent with the bronze, the bronze serpent, you know, and what happens? The people start worshiping it. And it's like, oh, no, that wasn't the point. You know, it was faith in God's promise. You had this, you know, you have the ark. What do people do? They start worshiping the ark, even though it's God's presence. It's this beautiful thing. And yet the people start worshiping it and misusing it. Um, you uh, keep on going down and, you know, we have people that hang up a, a plethora of crosses on their wall, hoping that maybe, I'm just kidding because you can see it behind. I was just saying, <laughs> <laughs> look at that. Wow. No, no, and look, but, just but, like that, there's one. I'm warning <laughs> off evil spirits. <laughs> yeah, but there will be people that <laughs> misuse the cross like that. You know, and will say, okay, I've got a cross, so now I've got this talisman. And all of a sudden you're misusing that. And you get to um, what Luther was pushing against that was not that this is Christ's body and blood, but this idea that we worship this bread and this wine, which is Christ's body and blood, rather than just, showing reverence because of this gift that Christ has given, people would worship it, you know, and you end up parading it around the city as a, as a talisman to, to push away evil spirits, you know. And, and, and weren't people also sneaking it into their pockets and like taking it home and setting it aside on like a little altar and, yeah. right. you know, and you have, down. So it wasn't that part of the abuse right. as well. Exactly. And so you have all this stuff going on and it all covers over what the gift is so that you end up getting, Luther saying, okay, let's get back to what scripture says. This is Christ's body and blood. This is for the forgiveness of sins. But then you have the radical reformers that go all the way over to be like, oh, no, we're not, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and it's going to be just purely a symbol. There's nothing special about it. You know, almost like trying to overcorrect for 
what was going yeah. on, you know? And so uh, oftentimes when I talk to people, I, I will start with just, uh, well, kind of what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. He started with the, pro- the law and the prophets and showed how it all pointed to him. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? like nice. you, start, you start with the law and the prophets. Can you show how Christ, how God has always worked through means to deliver his forgiveness and his mercy? Whether And it's always through his word. You know, it's not just through uh, uh, a feeling inside. You know, it's through uh, his word and uh, his gifts to us. Um, and so another, another uh, cool sentence that was that was in here i had underlined was now it is not the word or ordinance of a prince or emperor but it is the word of the grand majesty at whose feet all creatures should fall and affirm it is he as he says and accept it with all reverence fear and humility like Mm. what a beautiful picture of you know it's not just because pastor Dembski or pastor Merritt or whoever i am um (laughs) you know uh, (laughs) gets up on sunday morning and says something it's because Christ is there. He is the word in the flesh and he comes in that word. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful gift. And uh, even looking at John chapter six, which I would not say is like a fully Lord's supper sacramental passage, but when he feeds the 5,000 and they ask him for uh, a miracle and he says, I'm the bread of heaven. And he talks about feasting on his body and blood for eternal life. You know, that's not a Lord's supper passage, but it's still pretty interesting that you have that huge statement about you're going to feast on me. And that's how the people were, you know, the people feasted on manna in the wilderness to sustain them to the promised land. You're going to feast on my body and blood to sustain you to life mm. everlasting. And again, not a Lord's Supper passage, but still pretty sacramental sounding, especially when you see what he does later. You talked about the book of at, John. At the very body. least, it's a foreshadowing if we're not right. going to go all the way. And right, I, exactly. But this is one of those fun Luther, Lutheran debates where we go back and forth. Is it? Isn't it? So we're not going to decide that debate right, here. Right, right, right. right, right. right. <laughs> no, um, but the only other thing I was going to say was um, that I, I know I've heard uh, many commentators say that John was written a little bit later. And so there was times where there's an assumption that people would have heard many of the things that were said. So he wasn't going to just rehash it, but was sharing some of the things that may not have yeah. been relayed, you know, like yeah. by inspiration of the Holy spirit, you know? So if the Lord's supper was something that everyone was familiar with, you know, he's, I, I don't know, maybe that's yeah. part of why it's not there, but okay. <laughs> Pastor Roth, go ahead. Hey, I don't even need to host anymore. He just handed it off to you. Nice. I was trying to be nice. Additional thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) So I believe about 15 minutes ago, the the question was, how do we know it's not just symbolic? (laughs) (laughs) How would you walk somebody through? Yeah. And this is one of those things where, you know, Peter, earlier you said we have to keep in mind that for our purposes here, we just pulled out the words of institution basically earlier, but we have to keep in mind that there's a context to these words. Um, and this is what I find that I personally struggle with as a pastor of helping people realize there's a full context to not only, you know, scripture, but this is part of a body of doctrine. Mm. And, you know, all of these pieces work together and if you tweak one little thing over here it it messes with the whole system that's why we call it systematics um so for example you know one of the arguments against the real presence is uh well the the finite cannot contain the infinite um so therefore the bread and the wine cannot contain god well then think about that what does that say about the incarnation 
Yeah, Are you himself. saying the fullness of God did not dwell bodily in Christ? Um, so you mess with one little thing and it's, there, there's a giant context. So it's not just these passages. It's the whole way of thinking. And that's why we keep bringing up, you know, God deals with us in means. Um, also, God is a good God who wants to give gifts. That's what we talked about with the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Are they, are they laws just to be laws? Are they rules that God made up for us to follow? No, they show us God's will because he has given us gifts. And we, as Pastor Dembski said earlier, like to abuse those gifts. Yeah. Uh, so he gave us the commandments to say, these are the gifts. These are what I desire for you. Um, Lord's Supper is no different. And one, th one way that I would walk through this is I, I love going to Corinthians um, and Paul clearly thought along with the church uh, that Christ was present in this meal. Um, and not only that, he, he obviously thought it was not just a free-for-all. We've been talking about this is Christ's meal because he says, you can abuse this. You can take this unworthily. So it's not just a whatever I make of it, whatever I want it to be. Um, there is something happening in here. And God promises us, uh, you know, in the prophet Isaiah, that his word is sent out and it will do what it has been sent out to do. And as Christians, we like to say, oh, the gospel, gospel, gospel. Yeah, gospel. God's word saves people. But it also condemns people. And that's the hard part that we don't like to admit. God's word goes out. And if we don't see it saving people, we know it's still working, but it's condemning them. Now, hopefully it's convicting them and that yeah. will build up, build up, build up until they finally turn to see Christ. Uh, but what the, what I'm all building this to, there's a larger context. Originally they were celebrating the Passover feast. What was the Passover? It was when God gave the lamb as the sacrifice to put the blood on the doorposts so that literally the angel of death passed over. It did something. It saved Israel. Mm -hmm. That was a foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper, which now Christ reconfigures, institutes the Lord's Supper, um, it does something. Now, what does it do? Let's look at Christ's words. And I'm not going to the is means is, but he says, this is the new covenant. Covenant is a legal term. Christ is giving. He says, this is the last time I'm going to be doing this with you guys. He is giving basically his last will and testament. If you've ever been, if you've ever given I've uh, been through the process of writing your last will and testament. You don't say, I'm going to leave this book to my children because it is symbolic of everything that I have. So, you know, when you have this book, um, you have everything. No, I say I leave my children, my all of my money. I leave them this. I leave them that. You talk very specifically, very concretely. Sim symbolism 
doesn't have any room in in giving last will and testament. It doesn't have any room in the legal realm. Um, and so what is, again, what is Christ talking about? What is this testament, this testament of my body and blood for the forgiveness of sins? How did Christ accomplish the forgiveness of sins? By sacrificing his body upon the cross. So how do we then receive this grace? We receive this grace by the only thing that he had to give us. He says, uh, you know, foxes have their dens. Help me with the verse. (laughs) Foxes have their dens and birds have their nest, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He only has his body. This is God, by the way. But he is talking about this. He only has his body and blood to offer up on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So in this legal transaction, he is giving to us the very thing that he promises gives us the forgiveness of sins. His broken body and blood poured out for us. So therefore, when we go up and we receive what Christ has given to us, we're receiving exactly what he says. His body broken. His blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Mere symbolism isn't going to do that for me. It is his body. It is his body and blood that gives this to us. So that's uh, do with it what you will. (laughs) But, you know, that's that's another way. This it's this covenant. Christ himself talks. This is my last will and testament to you. Yeah. Now, you pastors, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to act a little bit more passionate about what you just said, because that was a okay. little humdrum. So, yes. <laughs> it's really mellow. It's like he doesn't even care about the material we're discussing. Well, I know. And, you know That's what I was thinking. I, I've got to <laughs> confess, uh, Peter was talking about earlier. Well, this fits into it, too. Whose meal is it? So yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, I have a seminary summer workshop going on right here at Humboldton, Kansas. Uh, and we have Dr. Bierman. Uh, and we're going through, well, I hold up, held up this book, Holy Citizen. Tell the people who Dr. Bierman is. We have people who Dr. have no Bierman idea who that is. Dr. is uh, a wonderful man. He... <laughs> He's a professor at our seminary in St. Louis. Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, a systematics professor. And so he's talking about uh, the, the two realms of church and state. And he was talking about, you know, how do most people approach church? And he used the term direction of fit. And the way we typically see this play out in, the, in America is church fits into my life. It is for my convenience. It plays whatever part in my life that I want it to play. And his, he was saying, is, is that the way it should be? Is that the way scripture speaks? Is that the way Luther speaks? And, you know, he had us read through a bunch of Luther. And the obvious answer is no, God doesn't fit into our life. We fit into his, we are being made remade into the image of Christ, not Christ being made into our image. So therefore, when we have this meal that he has given to us, we're not to take it and do with it what we want. We are to take it seriously as he has given it for it is his word. It is his gift. And how do we fit into that. It doesn't fit into our lives. It doesn't fit into our way of thinking. We submit to what Christ has said and what Christ gives. And, you know, this 
as he was talking about this in the realm of the, the church and state, um, my mind also went to close communion uh, because what way do what way do we fit into this? Do we come to this community and say, uh, I think we need to change our belief on the supper because of what I think it is or because of what it means to me? Or do we come into a community and say, this is what is being taught. I need to reorganize my thoughts and my life to fit into this community. Yeah, we, we look at it in terms of what, what has Jesus said? What has Paul said as he's interpreting Jesus? Which I wanted to bring up. Both of you did, made this wonderful move that I was hoping would come up in our conversation. But what... Last episode, we talked about kind of Lutheran triggers. <laughs> um, baptism, there's, you know, baptism doesn't say, ah, head explodes. Um, this is another one where, you know, the, the, the Lord's Supper is just, it's symbolic. It, it, you know, the whole is means is, well, it doesn't actually mean is because Jesus isn't literally a door, you know, and that, that's kind of where that, that conversation uh, tends to go. So this is another one where, Pastor Roth, you just said, you know, you don't go to the is means is argument, which so many of us, that's what we do. And we think that that is a sufficient explanation of, look, Jesus said is, is means is. You don't agree with that. You're rejecting God's word. Boom. Bill Clinton doesn't agree with that. Yeah, well, yeah. So, and boom, therefore you're outside. I win. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's what we do. But, but the problem is my, my Baptist friends, my um, my Pentecostal friends, others who, who don't believe in the same way, who read Christ's words. And I said this with baptism too. We said this in the, in the last episode. It, it's not because they're disingenuous. It's not because they're not as serious about God's word as I am. It's not because they're um, not trying as hard to understand. It's not because they don't care. They, they do all those things, and in many ways, more than I do, and yet they don't see it that way. So when we come at this as Lutherans and say, look, is means is, you don't like it, that's too bad, you're just rejecting God's word, we're, we're not loving our neighbor, let's put it that way, if we're going to speak Lutheran. Well, not <laughs> for, only for that, if we're going to speak Lutheran and Christ, not only are we not loving our neighbor, we're not loving our brother and sister. Yeah. Of course, I know people yeah. say, well, they're not my brother and sister because they're not even in the faith. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, no. Okay, you've gone too far you've gone now. Way you're too far. Dial it back. Yeah, too far. But neither of you did that. Both of you said, okay, here's what Jesus said, and here's how Paul interprets that. I mean, you, you didn't say it in those exact words, but that's, that's essentially what you did, which is I have found to be an extremely helpful hermeneutic move if we're going to use big words hermeneutic the interpret interpreting scripture how we interpret things um that when i look at okay if i just read only what christ says it is legitimate for me to look at that and say seems symbolic or not could go either way it's when i then come to paul and say okay but what does paul say paul writing at the inspiration of the holy spirit paul writing god's word and, and what he has said is, is authoritative as well when Paul writes. And that's actually the reason I threw in the 1 Corinthians 10 passage in addition to the 1 Corinthians 11. Because as both of you said, when Paul writes, there's more going on here. And so I, I think as Lutherans, it would behoove us to do a better job of really taking the time 
to talk to our brothers and sisters about this, as you guys have done. Hey, you got the whole Old Testament. That's great. And then we have Paul. And, and Jesus is the linchpin to all of this, if, if that's the right way to say it. But, Pastor Rafa, one more comment to you, because you had said a will is not just a symbol uh, or is not a symbol. I would actually say a will is a symbol. And your analogy works even better than you thought it did because it's a symbol that actually does something. Okay, that, fair that will <laughs> is is symbolic. The of, piece of, of paper isn't the desires. actual property. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, but it's, that's not right. the actual property. But that symbol delivers to your children all of your earthly belongings that you want them to have. Right. That's what we're talking about here. So once again, we're talking about those triggers that we Lutherans have. At, oh, it's symbolic. No, no, it's not. It's like, no, it is. It's totally symbolic. And that symbol does stuff. It delivers something to you. And we have so many symbols in our lives that do the same thing. So and it back, is, back to you guys. And it is Christ's body and blood in this symbol. It's not just a thing that reminds us and does something. But yeah. Christ comes to us in this. Christ uh, gives us his own body and blood. And I, I always tell people that in with an understatement is just a way to say, don't know how, but it's yeah. also, you know, <laughs> that's, is it, that just means English doesn't describe this well. So we use three different words. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> there, but we don't know how Christ says it. And Paul seems to believe what Christ says. And so we seem to believe what Christ says too. And it's there, but we don't know how, and it delivers that. So what were you going to yeah. say? Sorry, I interrupted you. Who? Pastor Roth? I don't know. No. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say, uh, you know, I did use symbolic, but I, I should have said metaphorical. Oh, nice. We need to have an episode on metaphors, don't we? <laughs> and metafives. You know, as soon as you pushed back and you said the whole... No, metafives are right out. <laughs> yeah, our confessions are technically symbols of the faith, so... Yeah, right. yeah. Okay, so we, we've talked with... We've, so one of the things I... I wanted to make sure we cover at least a little bit here is, is different views of communion. We've actually covered most of them, um, only a symbol or a memorial. We haven't talked a lot about it being an ordinance. So let's, let's talk about that too, because a lot of other denominations, you know, if you go to a church website and look at their statement of faith, baptism and the Lord's Supper are explicitly described as an ordinance, um, which I my, my definition of that, which I believe would be accurate, is something God has commanded you to do. This God said, do this, and so we do it. It's an ordinance, um, and it's from God. Once again, I think that's part of the way there, but not all the way there. So work us through this ordinance, um, but also this whole idea that while it, there's some law going on here, when Christ says, eat this, drink this. That's actually a law statement, right? How do we, how do we work through this? Pastor Roth, I'm going to go to you first because we were talking about this a little bit um, earlier before the show. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, my mind first went to, you know, when you said that, back to when we first talked about prayer. And, you know, God takes prayer seriously and we know this because he commands us but he also invites us um, and we can say the same thing about the supper he takes the supper seriously and 
we can know that he wants us to do, to participate in the Lord's Supper because he does command it. But why does he command it? Because it's for our good. Because he wants to give us these gifts. Because without them, uh, I don't even want to think about what life would be like without them. Um, well, you get what you have when you just say it's an ordinance. You you have this thing where, yeah, we do it because God said so. Well, why did God say so? I don't know. He just said so. So why do you do it? Because he said so. Well, but then what happens if you don't do it? Um, God gets mad at you. Well, then where, what? It just, to me, it doesn't make sense um, in the fact of why would God and, and Christ, who just or was about to suffer and die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, right before he does that, say, now you have to do this because I said so. The end. What? What? And that's why there's a there's a meme that I saw the other day. It's that one of the person trying to decide which button to push. So there's like two yeah, buttons yeah. right next to each other. And then the person like sweating, like, I don't know which one. And it was like uh, the one button was baptism is nothing or if not done right, baptism means nothing. <laughs> and it's like, oh, which one do I do? You know, in the same yeah. thing applies to the Lord's Supper. Like you have to do it a certain way. And, you know, there's there's certain uh uh, ideas behind it but if as pastor roth was saying if there's nothing to it and it doesn't mean anything and it's just purely a command and that's it that reminds us of grace and reminds us of forgiveness like that's good but if it doesn't do anything you know like the, you've got that problem there i mean yeah. I, you you pointed i think about um with our kids, you know, if, if we have children or if I mean, we are children, so we were told at some point to eat our vegetables and our fruits, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. It wasn't just do this because you'll remember that I love you. It's do this because it's good for you. You know, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I could see someone trying to twist this to not twist, but to, to discuss this in such a way that, um, you know, parents tell us to do things because it helps us remember their love for us, even if there's nothing beautiful and bodily for us, you know, but um, most of the time when parents tell us to do something, it's because it is for our good. Yeah. Um, and we talk about, uh, you know, when someone comes into our house and says, Hey, or sorry, when we go into someone's house and they say, Hey, take a seat. It's like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> no, like, no, it's, you know, they're, they're giving you the opportunity to rest and relax, you know? And so, with Pastor Roth's point there. Was, rest. Like, <laughs> huh? Our Sabbath rest. Like Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now you bring you bring up a good point about, about ritual in that when something as humans, when something is significant to us, we do want to have ritual surrounding it. Now we we do this in all sorts of different ways. And so it it is a we always have to be careful as as you know we, we're trying not to make fun of other people, but we're jerks. We do that sometimes and we apologize, but it, we, we, it's not necessarily that a, a Baptist believes it does nothing. Um, so I, I think there, there is a, an opening there, if you will, to, to discuss, well, why, why the ritual? Why, why is it done in a certain way? Because I th in the same way we discussed baptism last time, 
even even denominations that don't do infant baptism usually do something because most Christians feel that yeah that that this child I need to do something to this child to show that this is this is God's child that they, there is a a sense of something should be done uh, we do the same thing with, with the Lord's Supper there is a sense of there there is a way to do this something should be done and so we that gives us as as Lutherans an opening to that discussion uh, because we can say well let's let's talk about that let's let's work through that because um, you you say it's an ordinance well why did God command it what what else is there is it just a memorial because hey look at all these words look at the words that Jesus said the words that Paul said look at all that's included in them um, so. I'm going to move us really quick here to some of the comments in the Grok Moot because this does come out of our, our Grok Moot. There is one that I want to get into as, as we get to the end here. I, I, I know do, everybody. No, I just okay. wanted, I wanted to make one, one comment point. first. The, the body of doctrine thing that Pastor Roth talked about earlier. You can never, see never how quote that, me. It's not a good uh, idea. I'm trying to get through this quick. So we're, the body of doctrine thing that Pastor Roth uh, talked about earlier that you tweak one thing and you start to see how it affects everything else. This is yeah. one of those. If this is a matter of just a command that we had, yeah, then it makes sense that you don't have to go to church all the time because, yeah, you should go do it every once in a while and you just have this other law that's weighing on you versus why do you go to church except to hear the law and receive Christ's body and blood in the gospel. Okay, comments, yeah. go for it. <laughs> all right, so speaking of, of the words themselves, Brian uh, was reading in earlier in the, in the reading, paragraphs 8 through 19, and he had a comment. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's a really good comment. We often measure a church's Eucharist. That's another word that we will use for the Lord's Supper. It's not too Catholic. It's an acceptable word. According to, <laughs> I, I decided to throw that in there. It just means Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, cool. I, I did not know that. Is it, a, uh, is it a Greek one? Is that a Greek origin? All right, cool. All right, excellent. We often decide that stuff yet, which is why I wanted to read this. We should not say a church body lacks the sacrament merely because the pastor failed to chant the words properly or quote them exactly. Otherwise, we ought to all be using the original language rather than English to quote it properly. So just in case you're thinking that he's advocating for, yeah, anything goes. It's not what he's saying. The pastor is not required to say the words of institution for the reason that by doing so, he makes the sacrament valid. Rather, he does so because he is citing Christ's words as the words that make it valid. The words must be said, but it's not a sacrament because the pastor says them, but rather because Christ says them. The church simply... Yeah, well, you got deaf ministry where it's being relayed also, but even if it's not deaf ministry or something, but you're able to relay the content of what's going on, you know, but even if that's not the matter and it's just a matter of like, quiet reverent or you know for some reason they're trying to do something different if people know what's going on it's not a magic moment you know it's not like all of a sudden the hand came down this way oh no he went kind of crooked it's no good anymore you know (laughs) or he mispronounced a word and therefore it's no good um that point that it is christ's words it's not our words that make this the the thing um and you know we talk about that there was something i had underlined that uh the word by which it becomes a, it became a sacrament and was instituted did not become false because of the person or his unbelief. Like this is Christ's words and we are reiterating them in the stead and by the command of Christ for the people. So it's, yeah. it's not a matter of um, 
a magic trick that all of a sudden, boom, now it's done, but to remind us and to remember what is going on and why. Now, I have a personal example of, uh, of where it's gone too far and I'm no longer sure what this thing is that we're doing. And that was where I attended a church service where the pastor, um, when he got to the, uh, well, it was grape juice, so we can discuss that as a whole other thing. But the the institution was, not tonight. tonight. No, we're not getting into that tonight. (laughs) But the institution, the words he used were, drink to your eternal health. And that was it. That That was what was used. And so that is a very clear... I'm not sure what this is anymore. When when the words being used are not Christ's words, when it's not Christ speaking anymore, and it's something that seems to communicate something completely dif- different or odd, at best, I don't even know what this is. At worst, we definitely do not have the Lord's Supper here. Pastor Roth, do you have any well, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's not what Christ has given so why why mess with the words that Christ has given? Um, because you're doing exactly what you just said. You're introducing doubt. And even, even, even if, okay, fine, it's still the Lord's Supper. Why? Why would you introduce that element of uncertainty, even if you can make a really good theological argument? Why? Um, you know, you can go on YouTube and if you don't, have a stomach of steel i wouldn't suggest looking at it but you can go (laughs) on on youtube and search i forget what it is but pretty much dr seuss uh and and communion and there was this church that put the words of of communion into a seussical kind of rhyme and they even had the uh, the altar boys as thing one and thing two and it's like what are you doing um but this is also not to say that it's, you know, exact. I appreciated this comment, honestly, because this, some of the times I struggle with this as a pastor, believe it or not, pastors are human too. Um, <laughs> what? I know. but when, We're not sacerdotalists. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Well, when I'm up there at the altar, I get so nervous when it comes to the words of institution that even though I know it, I'm so afraid that I'm not going to know it when it matters that I have my altar book out there, flip to the page to look at it. And then I'll just take my eyes off of the altar book. And all of a sudden I stumble over the words and I go back and I have to look and then find myself again. And there's part of me that's like, what are you doing? So I, I really appreciated this because it's not, um, it's not that we are saying an incantation. Um, it's not some magic formula, but even when I stumble over the words, and this is comfort to a pastor, even when I stumble over the words, I'm still doing what Christ has given because it is received in faith. Um, that's the important part of the sacrament benefits you when it is received in faith. Um, so if pastor stumbles over the words He's still giving you the body and blood of Christ because there's still exactly the words of Christ. Um, we want to push it so far. Yeah, we should be saying it in Greek if we're going to go to, nope, it has to be the exact words. Uh, if not, then it's not valid. And it, it's the spirit, not the letter, the spirit. 
but that's not again to say it's a free for all. Yeah. Uh, to to say we drink to eternal health is not in the same spirit. Well, and I, I saw a quote to, or I heard a quote today. I was talking to an individual who was trying to figure out how to think about a, a different worship style thing. And, um, and they said, you know, I just, I want to say to people that if I am sitting there and I am bored or I am not engaged with the liturgy that is almost completely pulled from God's word, then that is not a moment to say, boy, this must be needing refreshed and this must need something new and we need to update this whole thing so it's more engaging and all that stuff. Instead, that's a moment for us to go to the cross and repent because we're not delighting in God's word. We're not hearing his word and hearing it again and again and again. You know, and I know the example's kind of used and it might work a little bit that um, as uh, people who have families, uh, and whether you're just a child or uh, you know, with your parents or whether you have kids or you've got a wife or a girlfriend or whatever, a boyfriend. Um, that and you are your you, wife's child. Why, thank you. <laughs> um, um, the, uh, He's um, not even denying it. This, this is what happens no. when you guys are godparents for each other's children. You get this kind of banter. <laughs> I was wondering if we should bring See, that up. Ev- everybody just thinks that you're mean to Pastor Demsky, Pastor Roth, but it's not the case. It's, yeah, okay, no, Pastor Demsky. No, the case. <laughs> no, but the, uh, that point that, um, that we don't need things to be refreshed. We need to go and delight in his word. And it seems like there was another point that I was going to make um, Sorry. Before I was called a child, um, what was it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no. Uh, well, uh, this goes. I'll, I'll I'll say something really quick while you think through that. This goes along really well with what Pastor Roth was saying about we fit into the church. We don't try to make the church fit into us. So as we're talking about the words of institution, the Lord's Supper, what it is, what it does, whose supper it is, it's Christ's that He has given to the church for a specific purpose, we don't look at it and say, okay, what do I want to do with this? How do I want to use this? How do I, we have to be even be careful as Lutherans. Once we realize the, the benefit and we believe what it gives to us, we can even take that and make it into so much of an idol where it's like, I'm going to get it no matter what. And I don't care what I have to say or do to my neighbors, my fellow brother, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to get up to that table and and receive that forgiveness. Now, I'm saying this in, in the context of even how we talk about closed communion, how we treat maybe family members, and I'm just as guilty of this uh, as anyone else, how we treat family members who may be visiting with us who don't commune. Um, we have to be very careful that we're not doing it in such a way where we're actually going against what Christ says in John, which we didn't read John, but Right after where the Lord's Supper clearly happens and Judas leaves, what does Christ say? I've given you a new law. Love one another. It's the very next thing he says after the Lord's Supper is instituted. And and how do we end up breaking that new law even as we are trying to receive these benefits for ourselves? So, Pastor Demsky, I don't know if you remembered what you were going to say. No, and it was just that gist of, um, uh, just that point that, uh, we we don't need to have things refreshed, but when we he- oh I know what it was I was going to say um, with our family friends loved ones we say I love you and we hear I love you 
we don't need to find new ways to say it to make sure it's fresh and unique and new. Instead, you have the repetition, you have that consistency. You know, I mean, it's kind sure. of a poor example, but, you know, um, the same type of thing when we go through the liturgy, um, you know, in Lutheran service book, we have five divine services and a whole bunch of morning and evening and service for prayer. Like we got all these things that we can have this unity. And um, uh, when we say, uh, we need something else, it's like, why do we need the other? what is it that we are missing or what's wrong with the words that are there that we need more variety, you know, some of those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was just an interesting point. Yeah. So we're, we're at the end of our time here. I want to give you guys as we've done, as we do, can't talk anymore with every episode, uh, give our pastors a couple minutes at the end to kind of wrap up their thoughts, share some final encouraging remarks with us. And pastor Roth, you get to go first. Ask not what the supper can do for you. you (laughs) Sorry, that actually popped into my head by thinking about how do you fit into the supper, not the supper fit. Nice. (laughs) No. The truth of the matter is with with all things, um, it comes down to what has Christ done? Has Christ done it all for us and gives us the gift of his mercy and grace? Or is there something left for us to do? As ones who are forgiven and redeemed, we are given that assurance of salvation through Christ's word and through his gift. So why as Christians, as ones who know we're forgiven, who are given this word, would we yoke ourselves back under a law to say there is something for me to do, that this is not a gift of grace, but it is yet another work of which I can obey and achieve my own righteousness. That is not the purpose of God's word. All these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only son of God, and that by believing in his name, You have life everlasting. The supper, Christ bled and gave his body up for you. So receive it. It is a gift from the everlasting God. It is a gift from eternity. Receive the gift. Take it as he has given it. Don't transform it into something of your own desire because trust me it is not good it is not better than the free gift that christ has already given you it's not more meaningful it's not more powerful it is christ and he gives himself to you thanks be to god amen pastor dembski Okay, I got to one-up that. Hold on, let me think. No, just Wait, this isn't a competition. <laughs> oh, you told me before that we were... Oh, no, you weren't no. supposed to tell him that. He didn't no. know. In all seriousness, though, it is a beautiful gift. And when we think that it is another law, another thing we have to do, um, it it is sad. I mean, some of the... As I was rereading through the last part in the large catechism, just kind of reviewing for tonight and how some of this is stated, uh, some of the things that really stood out... Um, that we are always under spiritual attack. 
That is part of our lives as Christians. Our faith is always being attacked and we are always being drawn closer and closer to the cross. And we have this statement now to this purpose, the comfort of the sacrament is given when the heart feels that the burden is becoming too heavy so that it may gain here new power and refreshment. That we go and we hear God's word, we receive his good gifts, and that we don't look to it as something else to put on the checklist to do but we see it as the invitation of the for, to the foretaste of the feast to come. You know, that when we come here, we come together, called out from the world to this community of believers in all the stress and all the anxiety and all of the tension, we come together and we receive this good gift. And it is received worthily by faith. Not because you did enough this week, not because you... Uh, learned enough this week, not because you rewatched Crucial Conversations previous episodes three more times, you know, like <laughs> nothing like and told that. all your friends about it. All right. None of that means anything, right? I mean, it, 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 it's good to grow in our faith. It's good to read scripture, to be pious in our Christian life. But those things do not make us worthy. But it's those believing those words that Christ has bled and died to forgive our sins so that we have eternal life so that we have a beautiful meal that joins us together. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful gift that we have. And so I guess that's where I'd leave it. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Dembski, Pastor Roth, for joining us this evening. Thank you, those of you who are watching or listening um, after the fact, perhaps you're on the podcast or you're watching this on our YouTube channel later on. This has been Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. This is the final episode in our series on the Large Catechism. Crucial, crucial conversation will continue after Pastor Roth stops sneezing. Um, I'm trying to get away from the microphone. I'm sorry. It didn't get far enough away. No, nope, didn't work at all. Um, we, we will be continuing this. We're going to take a break. Um, we won't be back regularly uh, until September, most likely, but we might have a couple episodes here and there, a couple bonus episodes, little standalone features. Uh, we're looking at doing one on biblicism, fundamentalism, fideism, and a whole bunch of other isms, Ooh. Uh, with the idea being Lutheranism. Uh, well, that could be a, that could be one of the isms. <laughs> Confessionalism. There, that's another one we can throw in there too. Uh, so that's kind of an idea. We might even have an episode on modernism and postmodernism and how to distinguish the two and what, what we do with these human philosophies when it comes to scripture and Christianity and all that kind of stuff. But we do have a pretty awesome, and I'm not going to share all the details yet, but we have a series that we're going to be releasing. It's going to take a couple of years, but we're going to teach you how to read every single book of the Bible. Promise you. That's going to be one of our big ones. So that's one of the reasons we're taking a break for the next couple of months is because we've got some awesome things to prepare for. Some We're actually writing scripts and producing a whole bunch of stuff. So if you guys read our blog, we have a blog, crucialproductions.org, and you've got questions. Maybe you want one of our pastors to answer a question for you, uh, or you're looking for a particular topic. We have a blog. We're getting pastors who are going to start writing there. Send in emails, questions at crucialproductions.org. Give us ideas for what those articles could be. We'd love to actually answer your questions and give you content that you're specifically looking for. So subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Keep following us. We got a whole lot more coming. We are excited with what Crucial Productions is doing and will be doing into the future. Got some awesome stuff planned, but that's all for tonight. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. <laughs>